On this episode of China Unscripted, tennis star Peng Shui is not okay. China faces a demographic disaster and the Chinese Coast Guard backs down in the South China Sea. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganeshda. And we have made the very wise decision to record this the day after Thanksgiving. At least it wasn't on Thanksgiving. That's true. We're not immediately in a post-tryptophan coma. Although, what did we do during Thanksgiving? We worked. We did. We worked. I, yeah, I have not actually had Thanksgiving. That's why I'm so sharp right now. I've had no turkey, no apple pie, no friends, no thanks. <laughs> I hope you're not expecting apple pie. Or thanks. Pumpkin pie is more, uh, is what I should have said. You'll, you'll be getting pumpkin pie. Excellent. We're celebrating tomorrow, which is in the past. Oh, for yes. when you've seen this podcast. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. When you're watching this, we will we will be so happy. Our show is like the movie Tenet. It's in, the, it's in reverse. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's a little confusing. Like many of the things we talk about on our podcast. But you know what's not confusing? The situation with Peng Shui. It's not confusing? It, I was being sarcastic. This is my sarcastic voice. Yeah. Uh, that's my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right, I forgot. My thing is making really bad jokes and interrupting Shelly. Which you did. (laughs) Oh, it's true. It is true. You know, I felt like I had a good transition from turkey talk to Peng Shui, but I have forgotten what it was. Okay, so we can't go backwards in time. No, sadly. Why does time's arrow only point forward? Occasionally... Into people's knees. (laughs) Uh, That's, I explained to them the story, the meme of like, I took an arrow to the knee. That didn't need to be brought up in the podcast. (laughs) This is the most obscure reference for all of you watching. No, I'm sure many will get it. It's just, it was just very unnecessary to bring it up. Uh, Something about Peng Shui, the, the tennis star who has disappeared and reappeared. Well, She's totally fine now, guys. Yes, there's nothing wrong. She's good. She just she's just at home resting and would like to not be disturbed. Thanks for watching this episode of China Unscripted. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Is there more to the story? Well, I think what's going to be interesting to see now is that whether she just kind of goes back to being disappeared now that they've done the proof of life thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm sure everyone knows the Peng Shui thing since we've been talking about it. It's all in the news. But yeah, I, I did say famous tennis star uh, accused one of the uh, former members of the Politburo Standing Committee, Zhang Gaoli, of sexual assault. Of forcing her to have sex with him. Yeah. Was, was that prior or after to the confirmed affair they had? So apparently they had slept together in the like early 2010s, before he became a member of the Politburo Standing Committee. And then he became a member, they stopped having an affair, and then he contacted her again after he had retired. And that's when she says, he basically, he and his wife invited her to play tennis, and then she says essentially that he forced himself on her. Because uh, she said the word that she used in Chinese is is forced, but then there were a bunch of people who were trying to be like, well, it could be just 
pressured. You know, people were trying to explain away the the sexual assault but that allegation. Doesn't, that doesn't really make it less bad. Like pressuring somebody to have sex with you? Yeah. Yeah, you know. But then she had also said the whole time she was crying and she she wasn't willing and she was crying that first time. I hmm. feel like that's a sign that it's non-consensual. Well, and then supposedly they resumed having an affair. So this is like a little bit of a messy wow, that story. Is, that is a, but I mean, I, I think the reality is that a lot of times rape cases are messy and that doesn't excuse what the guy does Yeah. when, when there's a moment of non-consent, right? I mean, this whole thing was scandalous, right? Somebody coming out and accusing a, you know, one of China's former top leaders of sexual assault. And then her post on uh, Chinese social media was censored within 20 minutes, which seems actually like not that fast. Well, and so this is where, like, you know, a lot of the Western media has been talking about it. It's like, you know, this is China's Me Too movement. This is, uh, you know, the Communist Party cracking down on the Me Too movement. But we've talked about actually the factional political infighting that this all kinds of ties into. Right, because Zhang Gali is a member of Jiang Zemin's faction, and he was actually put into the Politburo Standing Committee back in 2012 when Xi Jinping was made the head of the Communist Party as a way to essentially block Xi. In the Politburo Standing Committee at the time, there were nine people, three of which were definitely Jiang's guys. Well, when she came on, it went back to seven people. That was the next round. The next round. Yeah. Like, Are you sure? Mm-hmm. In 2012, there were nine people. The next time he was able to control it five years later, mm-hmm. he brought it down to seven. Fact check that for us people. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But anyways. Um, I, I'm pretty confident because she didn't have any power in 2012. No. So like, yeah, China's internet is extremely controlled by the party. So for there to be 20 minutes of, you know, it not being censored. It is weird, although there is another explanation, which is that for Chinese celebrities, their posts aren't automatically censored mm. the way that, you know, like an ordinary user. And this was reported in some media. We we're talking with people who have worked on China censorship apparatus before. So there's a possibility that they just were not expecting something like this, right? And is it possible like the censors actually had to call someone and be like, hey, should we censor this or is this okay? Or people didn't notice it for at first. Um, well, and so this is also kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier. I don't think the Communist Party was prepared for the international backlash that happened with this. And so they've been like, you know, trotting Peng Shui out, like, you know, saying, hey, here she is. She says she's fine. Everything's fine. Meanwhile, all discussion of it is still censored in China. Yeah. I mean, as soon as her post went up, it was taken down and then everything started to be censored. Her name, Zhang Ali's name, the word tennis Mm -hmm. was censored. So nobody could really talk about it. And then she essentially disappeared for about three weeks. And the Women's Tennis Association started being like, "What's where's Peng Shui? And, and then other famous tennis players, Serena Williams, um, Naomi Osaka. Yeah, like Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. Like people started with high profile started to be like, where is she? And that's when the Chinese Communist Party's like the state run media 
workers who have, you know, Western social media accounts like on Twitter, they started posting supposedly an email from Peng Shui saying she was fine and wanted to be left alone. And by the way, that sexual assault allegation is not true. Yeah, that was weird. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just like, yeah, like, do they really expect people would believe that? Apparently. And then uh, that didn't work, right? And then Hu Xijing, who is the editor-in-chief of your favorite Chinese state-run media, The Global Times, came out and said, I have obtained, uh, oh, no, first, some guy for working for CGTN came out and was like, here are some photos that Peng posted on WeChat, uh, of herself in her house, you know, and being she's totally like, fine, being totally fine, smiling and for the camera. And this caused a lot of speculation. She was holding a small stuffed Kung Fu Panda, the, like the panda from Kung Fu Panda in front of a photo of her with Winnie the Pooh, if, like taken at Shanghai Disneyland or something like that. And so people were like, what does this mean? Like, because pandas in China could mean the security services like MSS or the Public Security Bureau. So they're like, the panda could mean that she's saying she's being controlled by the security services, or the Winnie the Pooh could mean that Xi Jinping's on her side, or like people were, you know, interpreting it on the factional struggle stuff. Because what could be happening, and this is wild factional struggle speculation, is that like, you know, Xi Jinping is trying to protect her so he can use her to take down Zhang Gaoli. What's that based on? You know, people being like, what does this photo mean? Because there's no communication, right? So they're like, it it has to mean something. This is like Morse code. And then other people being like, well, the panda could mean China. So maybe she's just showing that she's, you know, being patriotic or whatever. And so that also means, though, people are trying to find hidden messages in this photo, they're just finding different hidden messages. Yeah. Well, what you were what you were beginning to tell us before the podcast started is that since it is still censored in China, people are really, you know, trying to find ways to talk about this. Right. So inside China, you cannot talk about this at all. Like Hu Xingjing, he's posting videos of Peng Shui eating at a restaurant where they're conspicuously talking about what date it is, or like there's a door with the date written on it. Yeah, they're at like a restaurant and like for some reason the restaurant has today's date on the door. It's like proof, hey, it's today. She's out in the public. It's just a lot of weird stuff. And then so they're talking about all this. But inside on the Chinese Internet, none of them are saying anything about it. Sierra Media is not saying anything. You cannot talk about it at all. People started trying to use um, kind of historical references. They started trying to talk about. Peng Shui and Zhang Gali, like they called Zhang Gali Zhuge Liang. Really, the famed uh, strategist of the Three Kingdoms Yes. Era. I don't know if they were saying that Zhang Gali was a famed strategist, but they were just trying to find names that could kind of, you could kind of know who you're talking about. And then, or um, some people called Zhang uh, Gali Kimchi. Why? Like the, the, because the famous Korean pickled cabbage dish. Yes, because Zhang Gali, his it's name a little spicy. No, <laughs> I don't really want to think about that. I mean, he is seventy-five. One thing you can say was this affair was not a game of love. Uh, 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 I should have led with that. Like, yeah. If only time could go in reverse. <laughs> Anyway, so kimchi, because his name sounds like the name of a Korean dynasty in Chinese. 
like the Chinese oh. name of like the a Korean dynasty. This this is this is like the whole weird level that your mind has to work at to understand like the Chinese internet. Because you have to have all of these code words because of the censorship. And also, a lot of historical background. Yes, I mean you'd have to know who, but people know who people from the Three Kingdoms are or whatever. So maybe, but yeah, it's there's just a lot of this kind of you have to talk about things on, on the download because nobody, all the uh, social media companies are hypersensitive because if they if this gets out, they are going to get in trouble. Yep. So that's what's happening in China. And then outside China, state-run media are blasting, she's fine, she's fine. But they are not able to talk about what her original allegation was. Like, they will not say what the incident Well, maybe is. This, is, this is what they want to do. They want everyone talking about where is she, not did the guy rape her? Yeah, I think what? that's definitely true because... Now the state-run media and even the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has come out. They refuse to talk about it for a week. And, you know, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, every day there's a press conference with journalists. And foreign journalists would keep asking about Feng Shui. They would keep not commenting on, about it. And then they'd scrub any mention of it. Like, they'd scrub the questions from the official transcript that mm. they released. And so... They stopped, they didn't say anything. And then uh, Jolly Jen, the spokesperson, finally said something one day about how, you know, after all the stuff had come out, like showing her at a restaurant or she had talked with the IOC president on video chat. And then there, and that was a big thing, too. Like, you know, the Women's Tennis Association has been like, we want to talk to her. We want an investigation into her allegations. And so what China does is lets the International Olympic Committee talk to her instead. The IOC is like, everything's fine, guys. Yeah, come we on. We talked to her. She hey, says she's good. Beijing Olympics 2022. Let's go. Yeah. So like, after the IOC talked to her, Jolly Jan came out and was like, if anybody is still hyping this up, then they're obviously doing this maliciously and they're trying to use this against China. If people were worried about Peng Shui's safety, you can see she's fine. So if you keep talking about it, this just means you're using this as a political weapon against China. Hey, maybe China is the real victim. Yes. Like, we really should think about the Communist Party's feelings here. That's right. Yeah, I've noticed on, like, social media, we've done a few episodes about Peng Shui and, like, you know, the the Instagram is terrible for Wu Mao's. And just like a bunch of them are like, she's been talking to the press. It's like, you can see she's fine. You're not making something out of nothing. Yeah. If you don't know about how the Communist Party does this all the time, where they take one person, they disappear them, or they, they call it in China, like be putting somebody under control, right? You're, somebody's being controlled. And then they bring, resurface them. And then they disappear them again. Well, well not yeah. always. This is this is the point you made in the script that you wrote this week about Peng Shui, that like every year, hundreds of thousands of people disappear in China so much that they have the word for it to be disappear. For the most part, they just disappear and no one ever hears from them again. Or, you, yeah, or it might take years, right? It's um, only in cases where they are high profile. Right. You have to make enough of a stink for them to be like, okay. Like there was a Tibetan... Uh, a famous Tibetan uh, musician, I think. Now I'm kind of forgetting if he was a poet or a musician, but he had disappeared for a long time. And then uh, the Turkish government basically said that they had heard he had died. 
And then the Chinese government suddenly brought him out and, were, and he had he made a video where he's like, I am fine and in good health. <laughs> and, the hit song slash poem, I am fine and in good health. And then they were like, see, this guy's fine. But it was years. Like uh-huh. he had been disappeared for years. And it was only after the Turkish government was like, we've heard this guy died, that they were suddenly like, nope, here he is. Um, that, it, But like it happens with Chinese officials that are taken down for corruption they disappear Mm -hmm. they suddenly make an appearance and then the next thing you hear is that they they're officially arrested now yeah that they will confess their crimes yeah so there's a lot of this reappearance right before they get disappeared again or they get you know actually accused of something don't know if that's going to be the case with peng shui because it's interesting that there have been actually a bunch of high profile sexual assault allegations in China over the last few months. Chris Wu, the Canadian Chinese pop star, and then there was a Chinese pianist. But in both of those cases, it was like the guys got in trouble. But Peng Shui makes this allegation against a former Chinese official. Peng Shui is in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's, nobody's like, is Zhang Gali okay? You know. Hey, maybe that's what we should be asking. <laughs> but like that's the thing, right? For Peng Shui's situation is so much more politically sensitive because she's not accusing some pop star; she's accusing a Chinese official, one of the top members of the Communist Party. Yeah, so that is what happens to her. So we don't know. I think what the party is hoping is going to happen now is everybody's going to kind of forget about Peng Shui and stop talking about it now that they've let her appear, uh, and so. Next, to be fair, the the U.S. media has a very short attention span. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the media business in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who's talking about Afghanistan anymore? Or the protests in Cuba? Mm, right. So we we don't know what's going to happen next. It depends on whether, let's say, the Women's Tennis Association is going to keep talking about it, mm-hmm. or that you know, in the run up to the Olympics is probably the best time for people to keep bringing this up because she's a tennis star. Yeah. And this is, I think this is where the International Olympic Committee like really crossed a line. Like they've always been pretty craven in their support of the Chinese Communist Party, but to actually help push Chinese propaganda this time. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, we talked to her. She's fine. There's, there's no way she could have been pressured in any way to talk to us. In an interesting twist, also, Zhang Gali was one of the officials in charge of getting the Winter Olympics to China. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's photos of him meeting with Thomas Bach, the IOC president who talked to Peng Shui from years ago. You know, yeah, it's it's like a weird. So. But, but the IOC, yeah, people have accused them of sports washing, which is they're saying they're whitewashing the Chinese regime's claims, right? It's called sports, sports washing, washing because, you know, the IOC is a sporting organization, but huh. like kind of using that to shield the party from the allegations that they're, you know, harming Peng Shui or not allowing her to be free. So this Sports whole thing, Washington. we'll see what happens next. It depends a lot on whether people still pay attention to what's happening to her. If they do, then they're going to have no, uh, they're probably going to have no choice but to keep bringing her out and yeah keep having her say i'm fine the allegations are not true that i made but that's safer for her than if she just disappears from public eye and who knows what where she is like in house arrest or do you know what i mean yeah 
what's interesting is a lot of people have been talking about how this shows the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda is really awkward and not that sophisticated. No. Uh, I know. It's a shock to all of us. But um, Marika Olberg brought up that in a way, this is showing the power of the state, that even though it is obviously stage managed, in a way they don't care because they're showing you, well, you have to take it. Well, that was something I talked about either to you guys or on the podcast once, that the sort of the point of state propaganda is to not be clever. It's to show itself that so everyone knows this is the control of the state. You can see it. Right. Don't cross it. Yeah. And this is something that works in China, right? Because everybody is afraid of crossing it. But when you have the WTA or something like that continually being like, we don't believe you, uh, you investigate the sexual assault allegations. It becomes harder to use that as a show of force because it's not really working. Yeah. I mean, with any luck, this does lead to uh, actually effective boycott of the Beijing Olympics. I know the Biden administration has been, I don't know if they've confirmed that, but there's been like rumors that they are going to do a, some kind of political boycott. Like a diplomatic boycott where, you know, officials wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. U.S. officials wouldn't go, but they wouldn't stop athletes from going. Uh, Yeah, so we'll see how it affects the Olympics because, yeah, it's, you know, Beijing really cares about having a good Olympics, but only to a point. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a question we had this week about, um, do you think the CCP regrets what it's did in Hong Kong because it damaged its international reputation so much? And yeah, while it's true that uh, the CCP was pushing its soft power, it wanted the world to view it in a certain way, at the end of the day, they cared less about that than control. Yeah. So the Olympics, I think they don't care about the Olympics as much as they cared about the Summer Olympics in 2008. Mm -hmm. That was very successful at um, duping people into what the Chinese Communist Party was. Yeah. And, you know, they cared about that up to a point where they were like, "Okay, we're going to we're going to say we're going to let human rights activists protest or whatever. But it was all farce, right? Because the protest zone was there was nobody there because they'd already arrested everybody ahead of time or put them like ship them away from Beijing, put them under house arrest. So they're not willing to give up the actual control, to your point, mm-hmm. for it to look better for them. Yep. And, you know, just kind of kind of shifting topics a bit, but uh, Enos Cantor has been talking about the Peng Shui thing, and like he has been on a roll as far as pushing every button the Chinese Communist Party has. He's Unapologetically. Talk- yeah, it's amazing. See, especially from somebody in the NBA, considering the NBA's history with China. Yeah, he's been talking about Taiwan, organ harvesting, Peng Shui. He's directly saying, like, you know, they're they're afraid of China. He's attacked, like, LeBron James and, Uh like, John Cena for basically sports washing for China, I guess. (laughs) I'm not 100% sold on sports washing as a term. It could be worse. Kimchi? (laughs) It is. You know, calling John Kali kimchi, I feel like is a lot more appropriate than calling him Zhuge Liang. Yeah, I like Zhuge Liang. He was a good guy. I don't, I, I don't understand that, what they're going with that. Um, because his initials. Oh, <laughs> I get it now. Well, but the interesting thing about that is that people in China don't spell words using the Roman alphabet, they have characters. Right, but people use care like people use abbreviations like Oh, so they're using 
the Roman alphabet abbreviations and then like converting that back to like a different character set. Yeah, so some people started out by trying to talk about punctuality as PS uh-huh. and ZGL, but then those things get censored. And then you have to find another way to get around the thing that you that you were saying before that's now been censored. It's amazing the adaptability of like the the people trying to adapt to the censorship and the censorship adapting to the people. Right. I mean, I think the best example of that is people calling the Tiananmen Square massacre that happened on June 4th, 1989, May 35th. Because June 4th is censored. Right. So then, yeah. Well, well speaking of uh, the Tiananmen Square massacre, maybe let's talk a little bit about um, Hong Kong this week. Because the Tiananmen Square, like inside China, uh, no one's allowed to talk about the Tiananmen Square massacre. It's like it's been memory hole. People actually don't know that it ever happened. Uh, you know, I, I, I occasionally meet like Chinese people who come abroad and like they have a moment where they like see that footage for the first time and they're like, what? Right. When did this happen? Yes. I actually had that experience. My sister and I were in Philadelphia and I had lived in Philadelphia in college, but I'd never gone to see the Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. So we were like, let's go check out the Liberty Bell. And at the Liberty Bell, they were playing a video about uh, all of like what the Liberty Bell represents, you know, mm-hmm. freedom, et cetera, and what it represents around the world. And there was a humongous Chinese tourist group. So the, the video was in Chinese. And when it talked about, you know, people around the world still not having freedom, like that there are a lot of places around the world that don't have this kind of freedom, one of the scenes it showed was the Tiananmen Square protests. And this girl who was standing next to me, like, leaned over to her friend and went, is that China? Yeah. 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 Quick side note, considering all you do to uh, fight authoritarianism and raise awareness about democracy, I'm going to start calling you Liberty Bell. <laughs> it kind of rhymes. Rhymes? Shelly, Liberty, Shell, Liberty Bell. Uh, I don't know. At any rate, <laughs> well, so this reminds me of a story that um, a Chinese American had told me about, like, he was in Beijing during the, the Tiananmen Square protest, and he wasn't out there on the night of June 3rd, but he kind of, like, went the next day and and then like riding their bike, he and his friends riding their bikes around. Anyway, like one of the interesting things was that like, it was so clear what had happened, but by the next day, like everything had been cleaned up. And then he said like the worst part wasn't the massacre. It was the total silence of people. Like he's like, no one like, after a like, couple days, no one in Beijing would talk about what happened. So it was almost like there was so much fear created by that, that people memory themselves- Memory hold mem- themselves. Exactly. They, yeah. they memory hold it themselves. It's like this, this deep trauma that never gets healed. But people still know. They're just afraid about of talking about it with right. people. But, but, then, it- but then their kids don't know. Yeah. Well, actually, when my mom went back to China- uh, in 1993, I think, is the first time she went back post uh, Tiananmen Square Massacre. And her, she had family members say to her, oh, you know, it's th- what happened in Tiananmen Square wasn't what they say happened. And she was like, we know, like the entire world knows, essentially. And hmm. so people inside China did not 
realize kind of how international that news yeah. had become. Well, and so that's that's the thing about Hong Kong. Like the Communist Party was never happy that, you know, right there, Hong Kong every year would hold, you know, memorials for the Tiananmen Square Massacre. It was, is you know, it's a part of China, but they're still talking about the thing that nobody else in the rest of China is allowed to talk about. But, you know, thanks to this new national security law, they've been able to start changing that. You know, it's uh, they've the first year they canceled the memorial for COVID. The COVID. Mm-hmm. And then this year, I think COVID restrictions were still happening. But yeah, I think they still use the COVID excuse. But when it comes to next year, what are they? Are they going to still say it's COVID or at the rate that Hong Kong is going? Maybe <laughs> like they yeah. have a three week quarantine. Uh, Which I hear Chinese athletes who just came into Hong Kong like this past week didn't have to quarantine. Yeah. Although Nicole Kidman also went to China, I mean, Hong Kong to shoot some movie and uh, or TV show and they didn't make her quarantine. People were really upset about that. Well, oh, but so, yeah, like there's been this this whole um, assault on like, you know, making sure people in Hong Kong forget about the Tiananmen Square Massacre too. It's I think it's more like they're concerned about it being passed on to the next generation. Well, yeah, exactly right? the same thing. So it's it's like the, the it's one thing if people who lived in Beijing 30 years ago remember the Tiananmen Square Massacre. It's a whole other thing if they're telling their kids about it, right? And then those kids tell their kids. And so then like if you can just keep it within that one generation, eventually they're going to all die off. And then the whole thing goes away, right? It's like, you know, how many people alive today remember the uh, torture and brainwashing that Mao Zedong did in in Yan'an in the nineteen like late thirties and in the forties, like, like that's like that's been memory hold because so so few people who were there are still alive today, right? And they're not passing it on because it wasn't well documented. the The problem is that Hong Kong is doing what no other city in China is doing, which is trying to keep that memory alive and then pass it on through history. So that needs to be stopped. Right. So that's why they're uh, taking books off the shelves that talk about the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Which was the big story that came out this week from Hong Kong Free Press. That was their exclusive story. They they went to these these libraries in Hong Kong and actually have documented that, you know, these books are disappearing. And the ones that are left... Like you either they're not on the location or if they're there, you can't you can only read them there. You can't check them out or you have to specially request them. Like yeah. they're not on the shelves. You have to make a request. Leave, for your, this book. leave your name and address. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Then then are you going to get in trouble later for requesting this book about the Tiananmen Square Massacre? Weird to think that that could be what happens in Hong Kong very soon. Right. Yeah. They closed the Tiananmen. There was a museum that opened about the Tiananmen Square Massacre that was forced to close almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And that pillar of shame statue, which was at a university in Hong Kong, the university was essentially forced to take it down. Yeah, commemorating uh, the people who died in the Tiananmen Square Massacre. And nobody really knows how many people died. There's a huge range of estimates. Yeah, I mean, from a few hundred to... Tens of thousands. I think tens of thousands, yeah. But probably it's in the thousands. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that was memory hold. Uh, famously for years, there were the Tiananmen mothers the who were you know, parents of uh, students who died during the massacre trying to get acknowledgement 
from the government. Mm. And like you were saying, Matt, about, you know, eventually people will die off. Like a lot of the Tiananmen mothers are very old now. And there was a story in the, maybe the New York Times last year about how, uh, you know, that as the Tiananmen mothers are getting older, they're thinking nobody can carry on their mission, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because the you know a lot of people are either um, passing away or just kind of giving up after thirty plus years of not being able to get any kind of resolution. Yeah. So uh, then when they stop advocating, like because that was very sympathetic to people outside China, people who their kids were killed, right? So that was like a very powerful thing that the Chinese Communist Party hated. They were getting so much attention mm-hmm. in the years after the massacre, uh, and so. Now they're just kind of like, well, they're 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 going to die soon. And yeah, without that kind of like visceral representation of how horrible it was, you know, we, we've seen the Chinese Communist Party get more successful at getting uh, Western media or other Western organizations to refer to it as like, you know, the Tiananmen Square incident. Mm-hmm. It's not a massacre, Tiananmen Square incident. I mean, there is some technical, uh, you know, the massacre didn't happen inside Tiananmen Square. Which is true. Most people died in the streets outside square the square, but no one would be like, like if your argument is it should be called the Chang'an Avenue massacre, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like people who are like, well, you know, technically the Vietnam War was not a war. It was a conflict. It's like, shut up. We all know what we're talking about. But yeah, so the Tiananmen Square massacre. Yeah. You know, the, for the Tiananmen Square mothers, like a big thing is, you know, for decades, China had a one- child policy. So obviously when you're only allowed one child and that child gets run over by a tank, it's very devastating. Um, now over the years, uh, you know, it, it's become clear that the one child policy was disastrous. Uh, China just reported its lowest birth rates in decades. So yeah, like, you know, uh, but China is facing a, uh, Birth Dem- crisis, demographic yeah, crisis, crisis. That's, yeah. that's the word. Um, because it's a rapidly aging population. Uh, you don't have enough young people to go into the workforce. And, you know, this it's, it's, this story just came out that, like, you know, this is this is really bad. And so then, hey, what does is, what is the Communist Party discover? <laughs> oh, it, it, there, was, there was 12 million children it didn't know about. Don't worry, everything's fine. Well, those children were born between 2000 and 2010. So, so they're probably like five or six years old. <laughs> so a lot of those kids are in their twenties. Like, it's it, not going it, to solve the demographic. It disturbs me to think that that someone who was born in that time could be an adult now. That just makes me feel my own mortality. Uh huh. Yeah. If you're born in two thousand, you'd be twenty one now. Yeah. Wild. But so that's not really going to help them with their current demographic crisis. Right. So, but what's what's interesting is why there could be so many missing kids that are suddenly found, which speaks to like this horrible dark secret that the Communist Party has. With the one child policy. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns out that, you know, we've we've heard about 30 million more men than women in China. That might not be the case because we may not have, it might only be 25 million more men or 10 million more because we don't really have it turns out that a lot of people hid their kids from the family planning 
Yeah, well, like they, well, they hide their second and third child. Well, so the background to that is that supposedly because of the one child policy, there was sex selective abortion of girls or female infanticide. And there was some of that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and so then there's this idea, well, like, oh, since they got rid of all the girls, now you have 30 million more men than women. Um, but, you know, because of the way they did the family planning, that you could be fined more than your annual salary, or you could have your kid just taken away and sold in an orphanage. Yeah, that was one of the things that was like a big scandal because, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, a lot of people went to China to adopt baby girls mm -hmm. because the whole thing was these are unwanted baby girls uh, because of the one child policy. So, you know, this was kind of this humanitarian thing to do also for people who wanted a kid and couldn't have one to go and adopt a kid from China. And then it turns out that in a lot of these cases, after people started to go to China to adopt children, then the local family planning uh, you know, authorities were like, hey, this is a great way to make money. Just because we're communists doesn't right. mean we can't make some money. So what they would do is if you had a illegal second child or third child or whatever, they would take them from people and put them in orphanages and claim that they were abandoned kids. Like foreigners weren't actually paying for the kids, but you'd give the orphanage a fee. Mm-hmm. These state-run orphanages would get a couple thousand dollars or something per kid. And I think that's just so represent, representative of the Chinese Communist Party that, like, you know, people are trying to do something good. And the party just twists it into something evil. And then, you know, maybe decades later or years later, people find out that there's been a family looking for their kid. Uh-huh. Uh, and now it their was, kids in, in Ohio, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, there have been several of these stories that have come out in the last 20 years or so. And it's it's just like this crazy and the suffering on the side. It's of the, you know, the parents always wondering what happened to their kid. Like, uh, Well, yeah, like if you because of the one child policy, you're only allowed one kid. If you had if you the, if you were an extra kid, basically. You were essentially like an illegal immigrant in your own country. You couldn't, uh, ha you weren't registered. You couldn't go to school. You couldn't, you were just like not a part of society. It was, yeah. it was a horrible life. You All these extra have, children were put into. You didn't have a fuko. Like you, like you needed identity papers to be able to do anything. So you, yeah, you wouldn't be able to go to school or anything. Like maybe you could go to some unofficial school. And there were schools like that that kind of, I, I know there was this thing in like the outskirts of Beijing, there was a bunch of places like that and it all got torn down. Right. Because what happened is Hukou determines where you can live. So if you have a rural Hukou, you cannot move to the city. Uh, yeah. Like, China is not like the US where like somebody in one state can move to another state. Yeah. It's not it, possible. It is possible, but you cannot officially, if you have a rural version, you have a rural identity papers, you cannot live in the city. Yeah. So then what happens is people try to go to the city for jobs and then they have to leave their kids behind in the countryside or they bring their kids with them, but the kids can't go to school. So then they had all these uh, kind of like schools that the, these migrants set up for themselves and their kids. And then the government would come up in and like tear down these camps and stuff like that yep. where they were all living. So it was a bad situation. But now that they're in a demographic crisis, 
I bet they're going to do some finagling of like, oh, well, hey, look at these 12 million children we found. Let's uh, let's incorporate them back into society. And they should really thank us, thank the Communist Party. Right. But it also plays into the Communist Party's characteristic, uh, which is that they need to control everything. And so this is also a way to not just fix the crisis that they had created, and it's certainly not done out of benevolence. It's that, oh, well... If you have unregistered people, it's very hard to control. When you see them on your facial recognition cameras, who are they? I don't know because they're not registered. So now you have this opportunity to just greatly expand your control over your citizenry. That's a good point that they, I think in the rural areas for a long time, people fell through the cracks in a way that wasn't happening in the cities. So it's interesting that the point that you bring up that now maybe they're trying to expand a lot of that control. Uh, and I think also, uh, you know, just to be clear, China no longer has a one-child policy. Technically, they have a three-child policy now. And have they, have they ended even that, or have they just are they talking about getting rid of any restriction on the number of kids? I just don't think that. Uh, I don't know if they can get rid of all the restrictions. I think maybe you wouldn't be fined anymore. But there's this whole family planning which is a terrible euphemism, by the way, uh, for what they actually did, which is, you know, you have people, there was a story about a woman who had, she basically felt that she had, as a as a doctor, probably carried out 50 to 60,000 abortions. Wow. In her One career. Doctor. And she now runs infertility clinics because she, it, like, this is kind of her way of atoning for what she did because now she's kind of like that was terrible what i did mm. but at the time you're kind of uh convinced that what you're doing is patriotic well, for yeah, the good of the country that is right? that is the real danger of authoritarianism that people i i don't think people really understand is that they trick you into thinking what you're doing is good it's the moral thing it's the thing that better society like who are these bad people like having more than one kid, you know, that's a drain on the society's resources. It's, it's you know, yeah, like awful it would, thing they're doing. I mean, people were convinced in China. And also this kind of makes sense in a very terrible way because there, there had been famines and cannibalism, but people were told at the beginning of the one child policy being implemented in the 80s that this was necessary so that we don't get into another situation where there's like mass starvation mm -hmm. and people have to resort to it, cannibalism. It's for people's health. Yeah, like that Security. was, yeah, that was what people were saying. So it was just, you could see how people were convinced that doing this was the right thing to do. I mean, you, I remember reading a couple of years ago, a Chinese state-run media article that was essentially bragging that China was successful in carrying out 400 million abortions. I don't think that was- It was stopping 400 million- uh, Extra births. births. Yeah, so it could, the... because people were also sterilized or they were just, they also counted like implementing birth control because sex education is not great in China, especially in the rural areas. So they were like, okay, they would also count like birth control as preventing extra births. Yeah, but I mean, it's just a, it's just a frightening system. But I think, you know, what's, to your point about how even if they now that they've loosened the one child policy they've loosened the the brief two child policy now it's a three child policy but there's got to be a policy because all of this comes back to control the communist party and i think you can look at almost every policy on any issue and if you understand that the communist party is obsessed with controlling everything you can see 
this manifest in like everything, whether it's Hong Kong, whether it's the one child policy, whether it's uh, the Olympics, you know, Peng Shui, all these things. It's all about the party trying to control everything they possibly can. Well, and so the family planning uh, bureau that you had mentioned, like the, the, that horribly euphemistic name, like what do they do now? Yeah, I mean, I think you have, it's a massive bureaucracy in China because it's the one bureaucracy that definitely touches everybody's lives, right? And you had people who were essentially there to monitor the menstrual cycles of all the women in a village or something like that. And you had to go report, uh, like it was just, there's this apparatus still exists. So either they have to like fire a bunch of people and dismantle it, or they have to find something else for these people to do. The other thing is the family planning bureaus contributed a lot of money to the local governments because of how taxation works in China. Like a lot of local governments couldn't, there's not the same kind of tax system that the the central government gets money and then they kind of give money to the local governments, but there's always a shortfall. So local governments are encouraged to find ways to raise money for themselves. And the family planning policies, uh, the family planning bureaus, they would raise money through fining people for having too many kids or that whole, you know, orphanage thing we talked about earlier. It's a way to make money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the thing about these massive government bureaucracies. They don't get smaller. They don't get more efficient. Like these massive government things, they just stay there because, yeah, like as you said, were they going to do fire everyone? Well, then what are they going to do? A bunch of unemployed people? I mean, that's they could fire problem. people, but I don't know if that's what they're going to do. My fear is that if the demographic crisis doesn't get better in the next five to 10 years, uh, we're going to go to a one-child policy or two-child policy that is a requirement. Mm-hmm. Instead of being, you know, you can only have one kid, you must have a child. You must have two children. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they would go that direction. They already have the bureaucracy in place to implement it. Because the Communist Party is anti-choice, anti-life. The best of both worlds. Oh, yeah. This is why you're Liberty Bell. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what in practice a like a mandatory two-child thing would look like because some people can't I... do that. Some people can't afford it, although I, I imagine the party wouldn't care if you can't necessarily afford it. But um, you know, they'll they'll provide childcare. Like they're they're already talking about making it more affordable for people. Is John Gali going to offer his services? Oh God! Sounds like that. That was for well, because it's a horrible, evil regime. I wouldn't imagine. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something it's like, like that. It's like a reverse Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 Nazis had a kind of program where if you were like a a young, uh, especially blonde haired blue eyed Aryan male, like you, they they would basically line up women for you. And, wow, I did not know about this. Because because they what they wanted is to. And they were like raising these extra children in these these German um, like state run like childcare centers, right? And they they wanted to they wanted to increase the number of of you know Aryan children who looked a certain way, and then use them to populate uh, the territories that the the Nazis were taking over. 
<laughs> the, obviously, see, we're never going to see that repeated at any other point in history, but I'm just saying. It's a, no, because they're going to have cloning at a certain point. But, right. I just love that the day after Thanksgiving, this is what we get together. And we gather together and we talk about this stuff. Well, I'm thankful that we live in America. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm thankful I've got such a great team. Oh, that's Aww. nice. That includes the video editor, Anderson. Thanks for working on this. And video editor, Seamus. And our sound engineer. Should we should we name this person? We have a sound engineer. Thank, thanks be to them. Thank you. Make, Make my, my voice sound better than the <laughs> uh, others. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's not the problem that she's going to have. It's It's helping Matt and I sound not as bad. Well, all she has to do is fix your volume levels. For me, she has to just cut out all the stupid things I say. It's much harder. And gather it together into a one greatest hits of <laughs> Macnazda. Uh, well, I don't know. Back to the forcing people to have children thing. Um, I think at first it'll be incentivized. You know? Yeah. Like maybe you get cash or something. Uh, but I think eventually they're going to do something kind of uh, social credit wise, like if you do not have children, you may your 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 social credit score is impacted, or you're, you're you not eligible not, for as much of a salary at right, your workplace. Something like that, like maybe you exactly. So, just I think at first they'll use social pressure. I'm not saying they're gonna, you know, forcibly in, inseminate women. That's I mean, there could even be like a, like, you know, one of those quiet unofficial directives to like, you know, all the state owned companies or state linked companies to be like, hey, you know, don't hire so many of these dames. Let them stay at home and pop out babies. Right. But, but it's like if, if the state doesn't want us to be like, oh, we're not officially forcing people to have kids, but they basically restrict your access to, uh, you know, working at, at, companies, especially, you know, medium and larger companies, and they restrict your access to, you know, attending certain events. Uh, They restrict your access to transportation, right? I mean, how is that not a mandate, even if they call it something else, right? So I think that's kind of authoritarianism showing its, its best face, but actually behind the scenes, they're just using slightly softer means to achieve the exact same thing. No, yeah, it's definitely authoritarian. And I but at the same time, I don't know what they're gonna do exactly because there's also a lot of uh they don't want women to have children outside of wedlock. Single women, for example, you're not encouraged to have kids, even with the current demographic crisis. Do you have any idea like why that is something they care about? I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's just kind of traditionally that that's just not something that they think is healthy for the nation or whatever. But I think also in China, as a single woman, you like it's even hard to get uh, to see a uh, gynecologist if you're not married. They just assume that you don't need to see a doctor that specializes in women's health because, hey, you're not having sex, right? And you wouldn't need to... Um, see a gynecologist for any reason. Yeah, they're just forced to go to John Gali who volunteers. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I, again, like like this actually comes back to control. It's much easier for the Communist Party to control a family and the child if it's living together as one family unit because they can control the child through the father or through the mother. You know, the, the child's not moving back and forth to different locations. 
I mean, right? people get divorced in China. They do. But I mean, that the Communist Party doesn't like that because what they want is to be able to just control every single aspect of it. And this creates this mess for them. Really, I, I'm telling you, everything everything is about control. You can, you can look at everything from that framework. You don't believe me, Liberty Bell? No, I'm, I'm just thinking that like, well, hey, so speaking of control, uh, I think it's very interesting how uh, aggressive the Chinese Communist Party is getting in the South China Sea. That was the big story, that um, they actually attempted to form sort of a blockade of, uh, of, a, of a disputed shoal that uh, China and the Philippines claim. And really, the story of this, the, the Second Thomas Shoal, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, uh, back in... Back when they were having a dispute about that in the late 90s, I forget the exact year, uh, the Philippines essentially just like ran aground this old World War II ship. It was an American naval ship from World War II that the U.S. then gave to the Philippines. And this is what they do with it? (laughs) They just crashed it onto a shoal. And they have just permanently stationed Filipino uh, Marines there. And uh, yeah, we'll put up a photo of this ship. It's it is wild. It is like a rusty Hulk now. It's like Waterworld kind of stuff. It does look kind of like Waterworld. And, you know, if maybe back in 2013, the Philippine government brought a bunch of Western media to the Second Thomas Shoal to show them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what that was like and how these Marines and you see Marines, but these are like eight guys in shorts and T-shirts living in this rusty hulk and the inside of it i saw the photos the new york times took like the inside of it is completely rusted and it's just they have to um i wonder how you get assigned to that you don't know like is that is that some kind of punishment well i think it's better get your tetanus shot (laughs) the people were like oh yeah this is this is necessary for you know to to preserve our claim and like it, it is. I though. think they get hazard pay or something, you know. Well, yeah, as Matt says, it is. It is necessary for their claim, and so obviously this need they need to be resupplied every so often. And what happened was, you know, the the Filipino boats coming to resupply these Marines, the Chinese Coast Guard set up a little blockade and attacked them with water cannons. Unfortunately, no one was hurt, but it was essentially cutting off these Marines from necessary supplies because they're on a real rusty boat. And technically the boat's never been decommissioned. So it's, it is still a Filipino naval vessel. Oh, so if, if the Chinese Coast Guard attacked the actual ship, that is essentially an act of war. Which is, which is interesting because in response to all of this, uh, the U.S. State Department did say like, uh, if, if, if Chinese Coast Guard actually attacked, the, the Filipino ships, uh, that would activate the U.S.-Philippines Mutual Defense Treaty and the U.S. would get involved. Yeah, so if it was an armed attack, not just water cannons. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, they specifically said that the resupply ships are covered under the Mutual Defense Treaty. And that was a great thing that the State Department actually issued this because, you know, we've talked on the show a few times about how the U.S. got involved with the Scarborough Shoal in 2012 and kind of like uh, mess that up by oh yeah yeah by essentially not backing the Philippines and not taking a strong enough stand and then uh, the Chinese Communist Party was able to come in and essentially 
control the Scarborough Shoal until now. Freed only by a plucky crew of uh, YouTubers who went to the shoal in 2016 and, and planted the China Uncensored flag on it, freeing the Scarborough Shoal from the iron-handed control of the Chinese Communist Party and delivering it into freedom. You know, that was last week, five years ago. What? It was the it was like mid-November 2016. Oh, last week was the five-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to gaslight Chris that like everything he thought happened in the last five years was <laughs> no. only in the last week. Yeah. It's all been a weird dream. I, uh, well, I thought it was like a reference to like, you know, kids born in kids born in 20 in 2000 oh. are no longer kids yeah. yeah yeah that was only last week right? it was only last week. yeah no, no. okay no. wow you're that was that was very stupid and dangerous in retrospect matt this was all your idea uh it was my idea and uh it was i mean we it didn't seem like such a dumb idea at the time and i had coordinated this with a a filipina american friend who had some contacts in the Philippines and then put us in touch with the Philippine Inquirer, like a big newspaper there. And so we kind of did this collaborative joint thing where they sent a few reporters and we went, and then we all like went up together on this one Filipino fishing boat. And I thought that because they were sending reporters, like it clearly wasn't gonna be that dangerous. Wasn't the boat we were on, had it been rammed or water cannoned? It was rammed, but we didn't find that out until we were already in the middle of the South China Sea. That's right. Uh, well, we, there were a lot of things we didn't kind of find out about that trip. Yeah, well, like we were told it would be a 19-hour round, no, a 12-hour round it was, trip. It was 12-hour Round trip. trip. Yeah, and then it was, oh, wait, no, it's 12 hours each way. And then the reality was... It ended up being fifty-seven hours, something like that. Yeah, total, total, so long. Because we spent boat. some time just like there, and then we also had like spent some time, I think, in the middle of one of the nights, like not moving. Well, yeah, we were also there during a, a super moon, and the waves were like twenty feet high. Yeah, and well, I, I mean, saw Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember waking up in the middle of the night because I was being splashed by waves. Yeah. Didn't we do a parody of that Hamilton song, Rise Rise Up? And like we made it into uh, Rise Up Cthulhu from the Deep and made it a little chant about uh, worshiping Cthulhu. Was Hamilton even out then? I have no idea. I have no memory of this. I know we did that, but maybe it was like on a trip to DC for some reason. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember doing that on that trip. But yeah. you did sing the Scarborough Fair song. Oh, yeah. With Scarborough Shoal and... Yeah. yeah, it's the open ocean is terrifying, especially when you're on a little rinky dinky ship that doesn't have like an inside. Yeah, I mean, it looks like this. As you can see from the photo, there is like there's no below deck. It's just like a catamaran style. Ship. Some of the, 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 those nice fishermen cooked uh, some of the best seafood and pork belly I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, I, I also like it. It makes me a lot more sympathetic to what the fishermen there face because a of course they're spending a big part of their life on these small boats in very difficult conditions and then on top of that made far more difficult by like never knowing you know after spending a day getting to the shoal which is where the best fish are uh, whether they're going to even be allowed to fish in that area because of all the chinese uh, coast guard ships intimidating them and we saw a whole bunch of ships, including Coast Guard ships and maybe some other related China-connected ships, 
like surrounding the area. That was the scariest part. I think when we were on the open ocean, it almost was peaceful in a way, you know, because it was like beautiful, very different from being in New York City. But then when we were getting closer to the shoal, I think the moment for me was seeing the Coast Guard ships in the distance and then the fishermen asking you to cover your hair because they didn't want your blonde hair to be visible. Yeah. And for the first time, I was kind of like, all right, now it feels a little real. Yeah. Well, that's why we brought some cigarettes and alcohol to try and bribe PLA or Coast Guard, Chinese Coast Guard, if it came to that. Maybe a good backup plan. But it didn't. It didn't come to that. Yeah, they, they were Marlboros. <laughs> yeah, and the, hey, the, the we gave it to the fishermen instead. It's it. it Don't it, smoke, kids. <laughs> what was really interesting is you could really feel. I mean, the poverty of that area. I remember when we first got there, and you, we were kind of there were a bunch of kids on the beach, mm-hmm. and just the garbage on the beach. There yeah. were like old VHS tapes, and the kids were. like taking the tapes out and kind of like playing with them and wrapping them around themselves. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're playing in garbage. And then, you know, the fishermen we went with, like the captain of the boat, like we went to his house briefly, like, you know, he's like well off, he has his own boat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you don't see many places in America with that level of poverty. And then realizing what they're up against when they try to go out and fish and aren't able to you know, they wanted to stay out for longer so they could fish right. longer. And we had to kind of be like, sorry. We're on a schedule. We, we have a plane to catch. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that, but then right after they were going to go out back the next day yeah. after they brought us back. And, right. and just like, if you're like how much their livelihood is affected by the Chinese Communist Party's territorial claims. And so what was crazy was after they the Chinese Coast Guard blockaded uh, these uh, the, the 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 Marines, uh, like Xi Jinping had the audacity to like speak to uh, like a, a group of Southeast Asian leaders and say like don't China's not trying to become a hegemon we're not we're not nobody needs to worry about us bullying people in the South China Sea. Right after they did this, I mean, Xi Jinping told Obama to his face. That they were not going to militarize the South China Sea. Yeah, that's right. And then they were building missile bases on those islands. So, yeah, that he can say a lot of stuff. He's good at that. Yeah. But, I mean, fortunately, you know, because of uh, a bunch of countries were like upset about this, uh, and the US State Department had a strong stance, the blockade was broken. Which was great. Yeah, they they backed down, which shows that you can get them to back down. Yeah. Uh, so they let the resupply ships come in again. And uh, shortly after that, the, the, the U.S. and Japan conducted their first anti-submarine drills in the South China Sea. So that's another nice little needling at Xi Jinping in the Communist Party's South China Sea. I mean, I, this is how you get them to de-escalate, right? Mm -hmm. By actually standing up and being like, there are going to be consequences, you know, if you keep doing this. And then they don't, they're like, okay, they back down. Uh, You know, kind of like what we're seeing with Taiwan now. uh, There, this last week, a U.S. congressional delegation went to Taiwan. uh, Third one this year. Yeah. And that's pretty incredible to 
considering how that wasn't even a thing. Like, remember when uh, at the end of the Trump administration, Alex Azar, the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, went to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And that was like a huge deal. I mean, congressional delegations have gone to Taiwan before, but there hadn't been one for... I mean, I cannot remember any high-profile ones during the Obama administration. Right, but even even a congressional delegation is that like Congress people are independent from the executive branch, right. from the president. So sending Alex Azar was a big deal because it was executive branch, and that right. hadn't been done since I think the since we we switched recognition from mm -hmm. Taiwan to the U.S. Uh, to China. But and I and I think that is a difference the Chinese Communist Party appreciates. Like they they study our system very well to you know understand what what we're doing. So uh, yeah, I think that it's not lost on them that like oh this is both the legislative the legislative bands and the elect uh, executive. Thank you. Words are hard, especially after Thanksgiving. That's mm -hmm. right. Or pre Thanksgiving. Uh, but yeah, so this was a, a delegation, five, it was bipartisan, five congresspeople went and they met with Tsai Ing-wen. Um, they, they went to talk about semiconductor chips. I mean, that's a big thing mm -hmm. that's going to be affecting the world. Yeah, and this week also, uh, you know, China was like saying, hey, the U.S. is making a big mistake by inviting Taiwan to the first ever summit for democracy. This is uh, something the Biden administration is doing, a first of its kind. Uh, yeah, and they're inviting Taiwan, but not China. But China has the best democracy. That's right. Well, I mean, that's that's really why Biden is holding this, because he's jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I think it, that was a good move from the U.S. to invite Taiwan. Yeah, I mean that's that sends a pretty clear signal. It also it's also great because China's making all of these, you know, noises and like you know the U.S. media is like, oh, it angered China. Everything is always about angering China, and like at the end of the day, what's going to happen? They're not going to do anything. We can support Taiwan, and we're not going to face repercussions because the Chinese Communist Party isn't that powerful. Only when we give them power. Like when stupid Blackwater makes the, you mean Blackrock? Yeah, Blackrock. There's black. Is there a Blackwater Black, or yeah? I'm, Blackwater is the military. It's there, like a, there are those mercenaries. It's also, a military private. But it's no longer called that, by the way. Also, was, a fantastic uh, cartoon show when I was a kid. Oh. Pirates of Dark Water. Dark Water. So now it's now it's Dark Water, but you're actually talking about Blackstone. Black Rock. Black Rock. Oh there my gosh. There's, <laughs> there's also a Black also Stone. Black Stone no. That's that's the other one. Yeah, no, it's the point was that I think Chinese uh China is being propped up by American investment companies such as that one. <laughs> Larry Fink. There Larry we go. Fink. Uh yes, he's the CEO of BlackRock. Yeah, not just Larry Fink though. You know, what was that hedge fund? Bridgewater. Maybe this is what you were thinking of, um, Ray Dalio. What's what? What's with these people and these words? They like they <laughs> they say seem to have a very narrow. Black Rock, Bridgewater. They they, they just come Black up with, with names that like don't mean a whole lot because it sounds strong. Yeah, it yeah. sounds good. Strong fist. 
<laughs> strong fist investments. That's what you're going to go with. That's that's more the mercenary. Yeah. 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 Iron Nobody fist. fists like I, us. How about iron fist investments? We love authoritarians. Uh, yeah. At any rate. Uh, uh, and their partner, Velvet Glove, LLC. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, Where do they man. find the Velvet Gold Mine? Okay. David Bowie song. I know. Yeah. Like. Yeah, you know, that song was only made like five years ago. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Anyway, so Bridgewater opening up its largest China fund, BlackRock, saying buy more China stocks. Mm-hmm. Also triple your investments in China. Yeah, the J.P. Morgan uh, CEO, Jamie Dimon, you know, had made this joke. It was barely a joke about how J.P. Morgan, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, just celebrated their 100th anniversary, and so did J.P. Morgan. He bets that J.P. Morgan will outlast the Communist Party. And then he had to take that back. Well, he also wow. said, didn't he also say, like, uh, that's a joke I can't make in China. Uh, they're probably listening anyway. Yeah, because they'd be listening. And then, whoops, then he was like, that was a mistake for me to make that joke. Wow, story of my life. <laughs> it was like Jamie Dimon briefly had a backbone, and then he lost it again. Backbones doesn't make you money. Yeah, well, actually, I guess if you could manufacture and sell backbones, there might be a business in that. <laughs> Iron Fist don't, Investments. Don't, don't give Chinese state-run hospitals any ideas, Chris. Oh, uh, no. All okay. right. Well, on that lovely note. Well, I think that basically this is the next thing that we have to stand up to China economically. Yeah, which is going to have to require Wall Street or investors to just really understand that it is not a good investment to put your money into an authoritarian regime. Like it'll it'll have to, it'll probably have to take like Evergrande going bankrupt or like like some kind of bubble bursting that like causes a lot of global economic pain. I think that'll have to happen first before people, before these, you know, black stone rock waters yeah. uh, are like, hey, I, oh, okay, we're actually. I don't know, good. because I would say if there's a huge economic downturn in China, that's a chance to buy low and then later you can sell high. No, I mean, it has to like globally, like devastation. Yeah, that's not what anyone wants to happen. I mean, maybe they can just wise up before that happens. Oh, I do. I want it to happen. I'm an accelerationist now. I learned this word on the internet. Oh, no. Stop Stop going on the internet. There's Chris. a lot of good ideas on the internet. <laughs> Let me tell Thanks you some of them over at Thanksgiving dinner. Thanks for watching this episode <laughs> of China Unscripted. <laughs> so anyways, there's this cabal. <laughs> stop. Stop. <laughs>